Cheers! Kampai! Salute! Gambe! Skull! Prost! Hello, and welcome to the Drunken Storytellers podcast, where I tell folk tales and folklore from around the globe. So sit back, grab yourself a drink, and enjoy the show. Hello, ladies, gentlefolk, boggarts, goblins, fairies, and all other creatures that inhabit those dark, secret places of our minds. Welcome to episode 15 of the Drunken Storytellers podcast. This episode will be a little bit longer than a usual one, uh, so you might want to pace yourself on your little drinkies that you have. Uh, first off, a little bit of news, I feel. I think I need to do some news. News, news, news. Podcast seems to be picking up a little bit, which is kind of nice. Uh, a little bit little bit more listen, listenership. So that's kind of cool. Um, cool if there are more of you. Uh, so, you know, what you need to do, you kind of like go around and share it in all those social media places and all that kind of crap. But we'll get back to that at the end of the end of the episode. Um, other news... Um, not that you probably know about this, but apparently my ankles uh, are kind of getting better. I knackered them up running a couple of months ago. Uh, They're getting better, which is good news because I'm meant to be doing the London Marathon, as you all know. Um, There's there's a link in the show notes if you want to do some donation for me. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink, and all that malarkey. And finally, before I drunkenly ramble about kind of weird spooky shit, the stream for Things from the Flood on last Saturday was great fun. Um, you can go check it out over on my YouTube channel uh, or on the Twitch channel. And we've got part two coming up this weekend. I'm hoping to get it finished in on, on Saturday, but we'll see. They seem to be further behind than I thought. So, will those plucky teenagers get together enough to work out why there was a floating corpse in the Derwent Reservoir? Or will the maths exam just kind of beat them all and just kind of suck it all out of them? Anyway, enough of that. As you can probably tell by the title, and if you listened to the last episode, of course. Of course you did. Everyone listened to the last episode, because everyone listens to all my episodes, don't you? Um, This one's all about one of the darkest and dingiest and most expensive cities in the UK. That of old London town. Those of you who, um, who know me in person... I'm not exactly a great fan of uh, the city of London, but um, some of the stories that are hidden deep beneath the surface are kind of cool. What have I actually written here? I've written something kind of fun. But the stories hidden beneath that modern capitalist arrogant veil are dark and foreboding and steeped in lore and mystery. Today we're going to be looking at some of the darker, um, some of the kind of, I say darker ones, they're going to be more famous ones I suppose. These are kind of like the ones that are really easy to find stuff on. And I'm going to avoid using the underground. Um, I'm going to do an episode on that later. I'm going to do a tube episode where we kind of look at all the spooky shit that happens in the tube. Because um, yeah, pretty much every tube station seems to have a, a funky, weird tube story. So I'll do that another time. Um, but what have I got to drink to tell you these uh, dark and horrifying tales with? Well, I could have gone with some ale. Like some real ale, London London Pride or something like that. Or I could have gone for an actual London brewery. Um, I know London Pride is from Fulham, but it's a bit pants. As I've got a few stories that are going to come from Camden, I've got uh, some Camden Hells Lager. So it kind of fits, doesn't it? Camden's in London. So yeah, I've got quite a few stories here. Uh, (laughs) Collection of weird and fantastical and scary stories. So uh, do sit back, grab yourself a drink, and enjoy the stories of Ad London Tan. Fucking Londoners. Don't even know how to say their own bloody city names, like Bath. Yeah, Bath, not Bath. Bath. Alright, so the first section is all on Roman Londinium. So London, back in the times of when it was founded. So a bit of history. London was founded sometime between like 47 and 50 AD by them there Romans at a point on the River Thames where it was narrow enough kind of that you could actually walk across it well not walk across it I don't mean that narrow enough that you could actually build a bridge across it and steep enough and steep enough doing well already I've only just started and deep enough that uh, boats could pass through there is some kind of debate as to whether there was a previous settlement at London or not but uh, I'm not going to look into that because I'm not doing a full-on history delve into all that kind of crap. 
The original Londinium was actually a small city or small town by even today's standards, and it covered no more than that of about half a square mile. So, yeah, tiny. Um, that's about the size of Hyde Park. It was small. Uh, so this grand and wonderful capital of the Roman Empire in Britain, it lasted, you'd think it lasted a long time, but no. It lasted for a grand total of about ten years. When some kind of get-up queen from out east, known as Boudica, decided that uh, the Romans were a bunch of bastards and she didn't like them. So uh, she revolted against them, because she thought they were revolting. Uh, she attacked the Romans, uh, she attacked the city and razed it to the ground. Uh, and there's a large bronze statue of her riding a chariot, and it's called Boudica and her daughters, or Bodicea. Um, depending on who you want to believe there, you can blame the fucking Victorians for that. You can blame the Victorians for a lot of shit, to be fair. But yeah, so there's a statue on the banks of the river, Thames opposite Westminster, and she's riding a Roman chariot, kind of looking a bit like a Roman or Greek goddess as well. So yeah, not making her look like a badass Celtic warrior, not just like some random Roman Greek goddess thing on a Roman chariot. She was a badass, she was. Not too long after uh, she um, sacked Rome, sacked Rome, she didn't sack Rome, not long after she uh, sacked London and, and kind of destroyed it, her armies were defeated by the much larger and well-organised Roman legions of Governor Gaius Suetonius Paulinus, who then re-established Londinium, um, and at first as a military outpost, and then later as a city which grew and prospered. So there's a little bit of history of kind of where it all came from. The Romans did leave a few things behind after Rome fell, and then the Saxons, Angles, Normans, and kind of everybody else in Europe decided that they wanted a piece of England. And one of those things actually still exists today. In fact, many of those things still exist today, like there's parts of the Roman War and other things kind of floating around London. but. One of those does still exist, and it's hidden, kind of out of sight and below ground. And there is a dark and mysterious shrine to a mysterious and strange Roman god. And this is unusual in that the Romans tended to kind of worship out in the open, under the heavens where their gods could see them. So big open-air amphitheatres and big temples with lots of windows and lights and all kind of stuff like that. So, what kind of god needs an underground, cold, atmospheric and chilling temple? A cult that wanted to be hidden away with no windows and no natural light. And as you enter the temple, you see images and carvings of a man wrestling with a bull, slitting its throat and spilling its blood. These images uh, represent something known as the Taroctony, and that is the sacrifice of a bull to the god Mithras. And this is a temple to uh, one of the kind of more well-known Roman gods, though we don't actually know that much about him. We know he existed, we know his name was Mithras, and that he liked to have bulls sacrificed to him. The rest of it, there's a lot of kind of debate over. We do know um, that there's quite a few temples to Mithras uh, across Europe, and these are known as Mithraeums. Um, and the one in London was discovered in, like, 1954 during an archaeological excavation of the area, and it was situated on the banks of an old river called the River Walbrook, uh, one of those hidden rivers that no longer exist that pass through um, London. There's a lot of them. There's loads of rivers. Yeah, so it's actually now underneath the Bloomberg European headquarters, and it was preserved and is actually on display to the public, seven metres below street level. And if you want more info on Mithras himself and his cult and temple and things, uh, you can go and listen to The Fabulous Folklore by Icy Sedgwick, where she has a whole episode on it, um, and she knows way more than I do about this, um, and it's brilliant. Her latest kind of series of episodes are actually on Roman gods in Britain, and I do recommend you go listen to them. But yeah, so um, there's, a, there's a temple underneath Bloomberg to a strange god. A strange ancient Roman god. And uh, yeah, anybody who plays V5 or Vampire the Masquerades, screw you, we don't actually know that much about him, despite what you want to say. There's lots of arguments about it. And talking about vampires, there's a vampire in London. There's probably a few, to be fair. But yes, let's have a look at some vampires. I want to suck your blood. <laughs> 
So, who doesn't love a good vampire story? Well, if you go and listen to episode 5 of mine, uh, you'll hear some stories about some other strange vampires. Not those uh, usual, normal kind of blood-sucking vampires with long pointy teeth that turn into bats. Unusual vampires. That was kind of a fun episode to do. Go, go back and listen to that, but I'm not going to talk about those ones because this is uh, London and we're looking at vampires in London. Yeah, so I, I, <laughs> I feel bad for saying this because uh, I was never one of these people, honest. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I don't mean those spooky goths who hang around Camden Town and, 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 and like wear all the makeup and go to Camden Market and, and the, uh, the Underworld and um, the Electric Ballroom and the Black Art and all those kind of places. I don't mean any of those because I was never one of them. Honest, Gov. Honest. I'm not a goth. Honest. Nope. Me. Not me. Nope. Gonna ignore all that. Um, there's also a load of really fucking weird vampire clubs that actually exist in London. Um, and so we're also going to ignore those as well. Yeah, we're going to have a look at um, London's most famous supposed bloodsucker. And that is the Highgate Vampire. So this is actually quite a new story in a way. I say in a way, it is a new story. It takes place, well, it starts in the late 60s. Yeah, a little bit of stuff happening in the 70s, and then this weird rivalry between a couple of people that goes on for up until very, very recently. It's all based around, I'm not starts, it all based around the Highgate Cemetery, which is a beautiful Victorian Gothic cemetery in the North London borough of Highgate. Hence the name, dummies. Yeah, it's been used a lot in films and, and spooky things, and um, it was used in one of the Harry Potter movies or like one of the Fantastic Beast movies, I don't know. It's like that big circular central bit in the middle. But it has a vampire. Maybe. Hmm. Let you decide on that one when I tell you the story. So it actually all starts with another supposed vampire. It doesn't actually start in Highgate. But this is kind of the start of the hype for it all. And there was a report printed on November 2nd in 1968 in the London Evening News. And the report claimed that flowers had been laid in circles and were pointing towards a fresh grave. Now, this isn't actually in Highgate Cemetery. I've not written down what cemetery it was in, but it was in somewhere close by. Um, The grave that these flowers pointed to had been dug up. It was a fresh grave. The coffin had been played with and um, a large iron cross had been staked through the lid of the coffin into the body and into the chest of the corpse in the coffin. Uh, And this was said to have happened on Halloween. So, here we go. We start with a a staking of a man or a person in, in a coffin. Because that's what you do to vampires. Anyway, a year later, a man by the name of David Farrant decided to go for a walk at night and he walked past Highgate Cemetery. And this was on Christmas Eve, so December 24th, 1969. Um, But weirdly, he didn't actually tell the papers until February 6th, 1970. So, hmm, why did he wait? Bit sus, I think, on that one. Anyway, in the letter, he said that he saw a grey figure, who he thought was supernatural. And he asked if anybody else had seen this figure. So, well, guess what? He went to the newspapers and he asked people if they'd seen anything fucking weird. And, well, because this is a newspaper and people are fucking weird and people love weird shit, well, there was a, there was a fair few responses, shall we say. And a fair few of them were interesting. So this, a few days later, the, the paper decided to publish a few, a few of these stories of, of people seeing ghosts and spectres and spooky stuff in and around the area. Not all of it was in the cemetery. There's a few things that kind of occurred around there. And so this is kind of, it's not kind of that unexpected in a way. Because obviously, as I say, people are stupid and they love, not stupid. People are stupid, fuck it, people are stupid on the whole. And um, people love a good ghost story. And well, this is London. And people in London really fucking love a good ghost story. So it's kind of expected then, I think, that it's like, has anybody seen anything fucking weird? It's like, yes, yes, we have. Here, have seven hundred balls of weird shit. Um, but yeah, one of the re- one of the replies mentions a spectral cyclist. Um, and if you've ever been to London and you've seen the roads in London, seen the way how 
people drive on the roads in London and you've seen how stupid some of the cyclists are. I'm not surprised there's a ghost of a cyclist, to be fair. There's also uh, kind of like your usual tall Victorian man in a hat, your woman in your white, spooky floaty ghost face stories and uh, ringing bells as, as, as kind of usual. But how, how does this all relate to vampires? Well, let me explain. <laughs> so, one of the people who replied was a man by the name of Sean Manchester. And I think he's just a little bit bitter that he lives in London, and London has cool, spooky ghost stories, and he shares his name with probably, I would say, the best city in the UK uh, that seems to have a distinct lack of ghost stories. A few things that happen in Manchester, but there's not that much. It's a bit weird. Anyway, he claimed that the figure was a vampire. And, well, this is the newspapers, right? And, uh, yeah, shit hit the fan, basically. Because, you know what? Media hasn't changed over the years. They love a good story, and they love stirring shit up. After uh, Manchester made this comment about the vampire, stories then started to appear about the so-called vampire being uh, the king of the vampires, uh, and of black magic being practised within the cemetery. And this kind of led to a bit of a rivalry between Manchester and Farrant as they both claimed that they were going to be the one to destroy the vampire. And, well, again, media being media, it all kind of kind of went out of control, and uh, the TV got involved, and everyone went, fuck yeah, a rivalry between vampire hunters. This is going to make great TV. And they were right. It did. Weirdly, being a thing about vampires, it wasn't like midnight, late-night TV. It was on March 13th, 1970, early in the morning, on ITV. Yeah, so like kind of early morning, like 7 o'clock in the morning, the morning news. Uh, They had interviews with a few people about this vampire, and it included interviews with Manchester and Farron, where Manchester made a claim that he would perform an exorcism to get rid of it. Now, I couldn't find any information about whether he attempted this or not, other than stuff that kind of led to his own websites and his own work. If anybody does have any kind of pointers as to whether he did actually perform the sexism, I'd kind of like to know, because, yeah, it's kind of a really interesting story, the guy, uh, like, Sean and, well, Manchester and Farron, so there's a, yeah, anyway. So, yeah, this, um, on the same day, this led to kind of like a couple of hours later, a mob of about 100 or 150-odd people descending on the cemetery, uh, climbing the fences of the locked gates and causing kind of a, a bit of damage to the, the graveyard. So yeah, there was a vampire hype. A few months later, on August 1st, and this is where it all actually kind of gets a little bit dark and a little bit nasty, um, the charred remains, well, the charred and headless remains of a woman were found near the entrance to the catacombs. And the police at the time thought it had was to do with some form of black magic rite. I'm more inclined to believe that it's some fucking sickos being completely fucking twisted and deranged. But with everything that was going on at the time, you can kind of see why they made that connection, I suppose. Again, a couple of weeks later, Farrant was found in the cemetery. Um, he was carrying a crucifix in the stake. A little while after that, Manchester and a friend broke into a tomb within the cemetery, and they were going to uh, Manchester was going to go and stake a corpse that he believed was a vampire, um, but his friend apparently stopped him. And yeah, so there, there was a rivalry that grew up between Manchester and Farrant, and it kind of lasted until Farrant died in 2019, and it's kind of a really weird rivalry, um, and both are actually kind of really interesting characters. Manchester is a self-complained, uh, a self-proclaimed exorcist and a bishop. Yes, well, I'll let you go look into the, the, those two by yourselves and I'll let you make up your own mind as to what you think of them. But it is, it's definitely, they are definitely interesting characters, I'll give you that. Um, but that's enough about the kind of like the Highgate vampire. We've done with vampires and we're going to move on to something else now. We're going to move on to witches. So yeah, we've had a a dark, weird Roman cult to a a god that we don't really know much about. Underground, who likes bulls being killed for them. Uh, We've had a story about vampires. And now we've got some witches. 
Mask. So yeah, London's a fun place, isn't it? It's got some really cool stuff behind it. Um, the witch I'm going to look at comes with three possible names and a pub. Because why not? Who doesn't love a pub? And we're going to go back to uh, Goth Central that I uh, didn't spend a lot of time in as a youth and don't miss at all being stuck up north and not being able to travel under lockdown. Uh, Camden. And we're going to look at Mother Damnable or Mother Redcap or Mother Blackcap, depending upon what source you look at. So though she has these witchy names, we do actually know the name of the real person behind this. And there is a lot of information out there on the internet, um, actual research done by proper people, unlike me, who's just a twat with a computer. And they make the connections and kind of draw things up as to whether this was the real person or not. But anyway, yeah, so I'm going to just assume this is the same person as these, these other things. And her name is Ginny Bingham of Kentish Town. Yeah, I know I just said Camden, uh, but can, uh, but Canny, but Ginny lived in this area from around 1600 to around 1680. And at the time, Camden didn't exist. It was part of somewhere called Kentish Town, which is the next town across nowadays. Camden didn't actually exist until 1791, so that's why she's known as Ginny Bingham. Ginny Bingham of Kentish Town. But yeah, so the site of um, her house is it's kind of contested. We know that she did exist, and we know that she did have a house in this area. It's contested a little bit, and it was either what is now the Camden Tube Station, or it is at the site of what is now the World's End Tavern, which is across the road from the Tube Station. Like, it's, it's, it's probably an argument of about 10 to 15 metres but it could be that the fact that the World's End Tavern um, before 1985 was actually called the Mother Redcap. So there you go, there's the pub. And the house was said to be kind of like a ramshackle and dilapidated hovel fit for a witch. So pretty much would fit in now in Camden, I feel. Or in the Yorkshire lanes. Yorkshire? In York lanes. In the rambles. All I want to go to York now. York's an amazing place. I'll do an episode on York one day because holy fuck does that have some cool stuff. All I have to say is Brother Jocundus. My folkloric soulmate. So there are many stories relating to Ginny or Mother Damnable. And we're going to start at a young age, shall we say. So I'm going to give you a brief overview. And I'm going to say very brief, considering we know quite a lot about her. Uh, I'm just going to give you some key pointers as, and, and, and things. And if you want to find out, uh, there are just Google... Uh, Ginny Bingham or Mother Damnable and you'll find a crap ton of information about her. I'm just going to kind of go briefly over stuff because I don't have seven hours to spare on a a podcast episode and I'm sure you don't want to listen to me ramble for seven hours about um, historical facts about someone who may or may not have been a witch. But yes, anyway, Ginny. Ginny. She was married quite young for our times. So she she was married at the age of 16, which probably for the time isn't too unreasonable an age um but she got married because her then boyfriend george coulter uh, managed to get her pregnant whoops however uh, he didn't actually last that long and he was hung quite soon after for uh, sheep rustling because that's a really bad thing to do stealing people's sheep or just kind of like I just love rustling to me. It just—I know it means sheep stealing and stuff like that, but I just feel like rustling. He's kind of going up to the sheep or the animal, if it's horse rustling, and going, just going up to go rustle, 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 and kind of like rubbing them all up and stuff. Um, but that's the way my mind works. So yes, he—he he was hung for uh, rustling up some sheep. Um, and after George, um, Ginny had an affair with a quite a violent drunk by the name of Darby who kind of just upped and vanished one day without a trace. Uh, he wasn't sorely missed by all accounts and no one really looked into his disappearance. So we don't really know what happened there. And it was kind of uh, as, uh, at this kind of time, um, just after Darby finished, finished, vanished, that her parents were hung for witchcraft. Yeah. So her parents were hung for witchcraft, um, something to do with a, a young young girl. 
and then that's kind of where the association with Ginny and witchcraft starts. Kind of she 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 gained her her powers from her her parents. But yeah, so uh, not long after Darby disappeared, uh, she took another lover, who again promptly disappears. However, unlike Darby, his remains were found. And they were found charred and burnt in the back of an oven. And surprise, surprise, Ginny was charged with murder because, no shit, you've just found a dead body in the back of her oven. But however, she, she got away with murder charges. Um, she got let off because apparently, apparently, and again, I'm going to use apparently because obviously this was a long time ago and all we have is some weird historical documents on this one. He used to hide in the oven to get away from her increasingly harsh words and nastiness and her spite and anger and things. Because hiding in an oven is a great idea, apparently. Um, especially if you've managed to just somehow randomly pissed off your your, your lover, uh, who is well known for flying into fits of rage. Because, yeah, hiding in an oven sounds a brilliant idea, and that's never going to cause any problems, and it's always going to end perfectly happily and fine, and it's like, you dumb fuck. But anyway, because of her quick and spiteful tongue and her nastiness that were that was coming forth at this time, she managed to gain a few nicknames. And the, the most the, the most common one that you hear is Mother Damnable. Mother Redcap, I'll explain in a bit as to why she also got that name. Um, she also got the nickname of the Shrew of Kentish Town. And she became a recluse, and locals started to fear her a little bit. Um, at one point, um, kind of in the mid-1940s, in the mid-1640s, we've just kind of jumped forward 300 years there, during the Civil War, um, and yes, we had a Civil War, America, we had a very good Civil War, we had a really nice Civil War, with lots of death. <laughs> Civil War is not good. Ours was better because we had Cavaliers and Round Hats, and it was fun names and just don't look at how it all ended and what happened afterwards because yeah anyway um yeah during this during this period um Ginny managed to pick up a lodger we don't know his name but he was apparently uh, a wealthy man quite often referred to as an unnamed wealthy man and he lived with her for quite some time um with his extensive funds that kind of kept them well to do there's also a notorious thief and highwayman who went by the name of Mole Cut Person. He stayed with them on occasion as well. So kind of adding to that kind of, she's a bad person. She's got a rich person living with her. And occasionally she has a thief living with her. And none of them are married. So it was at this time that the stories starting to connect into black magic and witchcraft kind of really started to take off. Locals were, could frequently hear her kind of having hysterical and vitriolic arguments with this lodger. And after he died, the villagers blamed Ginny and, and said that she killed him with poison. Though they could provide no evidence and she was never charged with it. So I'm thinking of those, uh, what is it, the Babylonian law tablets that I talked about a couple of episodes ago, where it's like, you have to have evidence, otherwise you're the one who's going to get boned. Would stop a lot of this shit. But that's not to say that Ginny didn't actually do it, because she quite, this yeah, anyway. After... The lodger died. She kept her own company and that of uh, what kind of appears to be a thoroughly pissed off black cat by the sounds of things. Um, she told fortunes and offered remedies and cures for illnesses, kind of much like any other wise woman or kenning man of the time would. But she had a reputation. Um, her, her parents were hung as witches. She was not a particularly nice woman. She'd had multiple lovers who... A few of them had just randomly disappeared. Um, and so the idea that she was a witch stuck to her, like Satan to a teenage goth draped in pewter pentagrams hanging around the Camden Market. Not me. Honest. Ginny uh, would dress herself in a large red cap, hence the name. And this would cover a bald, her, her bald head, and then she had thick, heavy, unkempt eyebrows. Over her shoulders, she would... She'd wrapped a dark grey shawl that was said to be covered in like patches that looked like bats. And she had a wide mouth and a large nose and deep lines framing her leathery face. And you can kind of see how 
this can also kind of lead into that whole idea of where we get this modern witchy image of the gr green hag woman although we won't go into where that actually comes from fuck you disney there is a legend surrounding her death uh, we don't actually know when she died, there's no recorded date for her death, but according to an old pamphlet, I put in brackets here, uh, sourced to be determined, that on the day of her death, and I'm going to quote this here, hundreds of men, women and children were witnesses of the devil entering her house in his very appearance and state, and that although his return was narrowly watched for, he was not seen again and that Mother Damnable was found dead on the following morning, sitting before the fireplace, holding a crutch over it with a teapot full of drugs, herbs, and liquid. Adding to that there, it is also kind of said that her cat was still alive. This kind of like really pissed off angry cat was still alive. Um, and it looked a little bit malnourished and thirsty, so the, the, the villagers, they, they gave it some of the, the liquid from the teapot. And within two or two hours, uh, all its hair had fallen out and it was dead. So, was Ginny a witch? Or just a cranky old lady with a scary cat? I'll let you decide on that one. But as I say, um, there are some really good websites that go into a lot of detail. And like compare all the sources and things and do that proper research stuff. I'm just here to tell a story. I like the story of Mother Redcap. Um, I've known about it for a while, like I've known Camden for quite some time, so I've kind of known this, this story from there. Um, and it's kind of fun just kind of looking into it in a little bit more detail. I've kind of known that she was a witch and stuff, but I've not known that much about her life, so it's kind of fun to go and look into it. So yeah, um, we're going to move on to kind of what I've, what I've termed the last section of this episode, and I've titled this one Ghosts and Other Curios. Because I didn't want to, I just kind of wanted to give a brief overview, overview, overview of a lot of the other weird shit that happens in London. Um, rather than going into things in detail, just kind of give you a brief overview of a couple of ghost stories and a couple of other weird things that may or may not be true. And then we'll, we'll, we'll end after that. So there will be another episode on London, as I say, I'll do the tube stories and I'll probably do an episode where I actually look at certain ghost stories as well rather than just kind of give you a brief overview of them. I might even do an episode on a certain person. Well, I say certain person, I mean a certain ghost. A certain ghost of a person. Quite a famous person in England, quite a famous ghost. But we'll get to that when I get there. Ghosts and other curios. Who doesn't love a good ghost story? Londoners fucking love them. I'll tell you that, there's fucking billions of them. They're all over the place. You can literally like throw a dart at a map of London, hit a borough, probably even hit a couple of, uh, like a small area within one of the boroughs of London, and there'll be a ghost story related to it somehow. Um, so there's fucking millions of them. And the first one I'm going to mention is probably one of the, the, the it's probably the most famous ghost story of London, um, and it's not one I'm going to say much about because it's to do with the tube, and that's the Black Nun of Bank Station, or the Black Woman of Bank. And as I say, she's one of the most famous London ghosties. And it's a black a woman who's dressed in black morning robes and she wanders around the streets around Bank Station and within Bank Station itself. And as I say, I'm going to do a full episode one day on the ghost stories of the Tube because there's so many of them. That's why I'm also not looking at uh, Covent Garden because, well, spoilers. Um, we also have um, the Tower of London. Uh, this, this, this has... Like fucking millions of ghosts just within itself. It like hoards them, it collects them. I think it just goes around and steals ghosts from places. It's got, um, who has it got? It's got Thomas More is there. You've got the spectres of the two murdered young princes there. You've got, I've forgotten her name, Catherine, one of Henry's wives lives there. And the other one is Lady Anne Boleyn, uh, the most notorious ghost in the UK because she appears fucking everywhere like Blickling Hall in Norfolk. She's quite often seen there. In the Tower of London, she walks around without a head. So, um, again, this might actually be one of those things where I have to do a full episode on the Tower of London and all the ghosties that live there and kind of where they all come from because, as I say, it likes to collect them. It's got big pockets. It just kind of, like, 
Stakes one in one dungeon, one in another dungeon. He's got the two princes who are under the stairs and Anne Boleyn walking around with her head under her arm and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yep. Uh, let's 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 do something that might actually kind of fit with me as well. Anyone fancy a drink? Well, I do, and I know where to go in London to go and get a drink and see a spoop. So, uh, who fancies going to the Grenadier in Belgravia? This is meant to be one of the most haunted pubs in London. And it's said to be haunted by a man who was beaten to death for cheating at cards. At night, objects disappear or move. And it is quite a little alcove of a pub. It used to be a place where the army would station their men at night. And the cellars were barracks where they would lock up cheaters and gamblers. And apparently beat them to death. So yeah, anybody fancy going to the Grenadier with me one day? Having a pint and uh, finding a ghost? I'm more than up for it. So we've done some ghosts. And there's a fuck ton more ghosts as well we can talk about, but we're not going to. Uh, what about the other kind of weird spectral anomalies that people think of when they think of ghosts? What about poltergeists? Well, again, London has a fair few of these, because what the fuck doesn't London have? Werewolves, apparently. I couldn't find anything on werewolves. <laughs> Other than the movie. If you type in London werewolves, you just get the werewolf of London or whatever it's called. There probably are werewolves in London. I just didn't really look very hard. In fact, if anyone knows of a werewolf in London, let me know. I will do an ep- I'll, I'm going to do an episode on werewolves as well at some point. Um, and it won't be the usual kind of werewolf stuff. Because, you know, I don't like to look at the user stuff. Except this episode. All, most of this stuff, probably most of you already fucking know. So I don't see what the point of me doing this is. But whatever. I enjoy it. So, yeah. London. Uh, poltergeists. So, yes. Uh, <laughs> so what I actually do when I when I plan these episodes is I actually write a full script out. <laughs> and I write weird shit in the scripts. And then I kind of go off topic and do weird shit. So I've actually written here... Um, what about poltergeists? Well, London again has a few of these as well. What doesn't it have here? Ha, what bleh, what doesn't it have? I hear you ask, and I, I apologise to any Londoners listening to this. I wrote a sense of propriety. <laughs> so uh, yeah, whoops. Anyway, yeah. Um, so Hampton Court has a poltergeist. Apparently, it turns off lights and blows lights and does weird shit with the electricity. It also has a, our um, Anne Boleyn ghost. So, there you go. There's three three occurrences of Anne Boleyn within this. Two of them in London. Uh, it also has one of your stereotypical grey lady kind of ghosts as well. But then we also have kind of two very famous... One, Well, one's only just become quite famous. The other one is well, well known. Poltergeists. We have, obviously, the Enfield poltergeist. It, the, 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 the story that led to the movies of The Conjuring... Uh, the movies are alright, they're better than um, Insidious. But yeah, we also know that the en- uh, the Enfield poltergeist is not real. And it was just the kids fucking around. The other one that has kind of suddenly come to the service is uh, one known as the Battersea poltergeist. And this one is interesting because the girl who was apparently haunted by this gold bol- bleh, poltergeist is still alive. Um, and there is a, a podcast series by BBC Radio 4 called The Battersea Poltergeist. And uh, if you want to know more about it, I'd recommend going and listen to that. I am highly sceptical over it. I, I'm a scientist. I'm, skept, I'm a sceptic on most things. But a lot of people seem to think it's kind of like one of the, the strongest evidence for poltergeists out there. And I'm just like, <laughs> No. Just because she's alive and she still says that she was haunted doesn't mean that she actually was. So yeah, so uh, London has a few pol- has a few poltergeists, and maybe one day I'll do an episode on poltergeists. But uh, they just don't interest me because the more technology we have, the less we actually see of them. What have we got now? Um, and a quick mention to uh, the um, a, a haunted place. So we've got uh, Fifty Berkeley Square. Uh, there's quite a few stories coming out of 50 berkeley square um like stories that kind of span a quite a long time period 
um, and they kind of delve into something almost near Lovecraftian in their horror. And if you want to kind of hear more about that and actually hear the full story, I'm not going to tell it. It's something that I don't really want to tell. I like it as a story, but I don't really want to talk or tell about it. But it's, if you do want to go and hear it, head over to Tales of the British Isles. And I think it's the first Christmas ghost story episode that he does. He tells the story of Berkeley, um, 50 Berkeley Square. Either that or it's one of his London episodes as well. I can't remember which. But yeah, there's some kind of really weird Lovecraftian horror in there. And the stories kind of do go over quite a long period of time. But as we get into kind of more modern times, when we get more modern technology, the stories kind of fade out a bit like the poltergeists. Either that or we just all become more sceptical and we just don't listen to people when they tell us crap. In we've just talked about a weird place there. Let's talk about some other weird places within London. Uh, some other famous places in London that kind of have weirdness about them. This isn't like folk horror or folk tales or anything like that. This is just place. well, one of them is. Um, but the, the first one I'm going to talk about is actually the BT Tower. Uh, the British Telecom Tower. And for quite a while, I'm not sure if he still does or not, I didn't actually look up whether it still, still technically is under this or not, but for quite a while it didn't exist. So it was built in 1964 and it was the tallest building in London for, for, for a time and it reached a height of 177 metres. So it's a really fucking tall tower and it was the tallest building in London until 1980. Uh, it was bombed by the IRA in 1971, and in 1968 there was a race up the tower uh, that was run won by a man from Edinburgh. But despite all of this, it didn't exist. And so due to its nature as kind of a national communications network hub, it was designated a national secret. Um, and at the time it could only be referred to as Location 23. Um, and it didn't really appear on any maps until 1971. There were a lot of people trying to say it still doesn't appear on maps, but it, um, there's ever, there are maps from 1971 it appears in, and then there's one in 1978, I think, is the next time it appears, and then 1980-something. Um, but there were people who have been tried in court for looking up information on it and things, so, yeah. Tallest building in London didn't really exist. It's now a Grade 2 listed building, and is quite clearly exists and for me I, I see it as quite an eyesore on the London skyline I don't particularly like it as a building it's a bit weird like a top heavy dildo that's a really funny thing to say dildos generally have a yeah anyway uh not going to talk about that <laughs> yes yeah, I, I, I see it as an eyesore on the London skyline I don't really like it let's go back to something spoopy so another weird and spoopy place in London and this is where time warps Let's do the time warp again. I will never sing for you ever again. So yeah, this place, um, there was a period for about 18 months where the Woolwich Tunnel, the Woolwich Footpath Tunnel, uh, which is a footpath that goes under the River Thames, um, bent time in weird ways. So during its refurbishment in 2011, it took it took about 18 months or so to refurbish. Workers constantly reported that they were spending hours in the tunnel doing work, and yet they'd come out and only a few minutes had kind of passed on the surface. And there were tales of people passing through its 404, 400, 504 meter length in mere minutes, quicker than should be possible. So. Is there a time warp down there? Well, no. Sorry. <laughs> they were like the stories that came out were really really cool, but they came out in 2017, and they first appeared in a blog on a site called Portals of London. And this is a site that uh, cites one of its influences as Scarfolk Council's website. Um, and it is it is a work of fiction. The the owner of the website admits it's a work of fiction, um, and he makes up these stories about some like weird, spooky things around London. But this was one that kind of it, it seemed real, and so it kind of got the attention of social media and even some of the mainstream media outlets picked it up. But it is it's utterly, utterly false, and was created by a guy on on the, on the internet. 
I would recommend going looking at the website Portals of London and Scarfoak Council website. Um, they're they're phenomenal places. Scarfoak Council is proper weird, weird folk horror. Um, it's brilliant. So yeah, um, let's have a look at some beasties. I think now, not beasties, but kind of like other other curios. Uh, so you got you got Springheel Jack. Probably kind of more of a Victorian urban legend over anything else. Um, and he appears all over the UK. But most often he would appear in London, where he sometimes pretended to be a fire-breathing policeman. Because why the fuck not? Or he would attack women with long-clawed hands. Because fuck women in folklore still. But yeah, so he also has a strong association with the Hammersmith ghost as well, apparently. Um, I will do an episode on Springheel Jack because he's not just a London thing, he is a UK-wide thing. And now, another beastie. This one's kind of has an entertaining ending in a way. Uh, in 1981, on the 27th of December, four children reported seeing a large beast in the marshlands around Hackney Marshes um, as they were playing in the snow. They described it as a giant, great, growling, hairy thing. So, uh, they were scared stiff by this, and um, apparently it stood up on its hind legs and growled at them. So, possibly a connection there with a werewolf? Possibly, but anyway, they all they all kind of then went, ah, fuck, a big scary beast pissed off. Not long afterwards, they, like, they went to the police and told these things, and... Um, then there was a big search by police with dogs and marksmen and helicopters and all stuff kind of around the areas. Um, they did discover some tracks, uh, but there was no sign of the animal. And it all kind of then kind of calmed down. They kind of got described as pranksters and shit like that. And then we can kind of... Well, it all kind of passed into folklore legend and urban legend and stuff like that until uh, 2012 when a student by the name of Helen Murray uh, took two photographs of a large black-haired creature within the area. And so lots of people were suddenly going, oh my god, he's fucking back! The, the beast of Hackney Marshes is back! And it kind of hit the, the newspapers and stuff again, and all kind of weird stuff went off and, and things. And, uh, well, it appears that the... the um, the Beast of Hackney Marshes was revealed to be a huge Newfoundland dog that was owned by the drummer of the band Cooler Shaker. Um, apparently. So, yeah. Not sure. That was the 2012. That's what the 2012 one is blamed on. Don't know what the 20... Like, the... the eight, 90, oh, fucking hell. 1981 one was blamed on, other than just maybe being a hoax. And so, yeah, um, I think I've got one more... Yeah, I've got one more thing to talk about in this episode. Um, it's kind of a fun little bit of folklore that I've known about for a while and I've known is false for a while. Um, and it's kind of the phrase... It's kind of the origin of the phrase falling off the wagon. If you ever go to London and you do any tours of London, especially around the Tower of London and kind of around Tottenham Court Road, you'll hear this, uh, this story, and it's actually false. But one of the folklore origins is of, of this race fall, falling off the wagon is that on the way to be hanged at the Tower of London, uh, the wagon that carried the prisoners would stop at a pub in Tottenham uh, so they could have their final drink. So they're getting off the wagon to have a drink of alcohol. Um, and then they're going to never drink again. So it's kind of like falling off the wagon to have a drink. Uh, this, however, is not true. Um, the, the phrase... I think first appears in the early uh, early 20th century, um, and the last hanging that happened within London was before that. So um, the phrase actually comes from falling off the water wagon, and water wagons were used to keep dust down on on roads during pro prohibition in the U.S. Um, and men were said to, rather than drink alcohol, would jump on the water wagon to grab a drink of water. And then if they actually started to drink alcohol again, they had fallen off the water wagon. They, they, they weren't getting on the water wagon. They were going off. They'd gone off the water wagon and were drinking alcohol again. And that's kind of the actual origin of the phrase, um, rather than the one that you'll hear if you go and listen to tour guides, because tour guides talk shit half the time. If you want to go to London, 
and and visit like some really fucking weird places. One really fucking weird place that is full of wonderful, amazing, beautiful, dark curiosities and has a really weird, weird vibe, but is absolutely phenomenal place to visit is the Victor Wind Museum of Curiosities, Fine Art and Natural History by the Last Tuesday Society on Mare Street. And it's between Hacknell and Bethnal Green. There's a bit of a walk from the tube station, but... It's definitely worth a visit. You can go go look at all these fucking weird shit that he's got, shrunken heads and stuff, and then you can come back up, sit in the bar, and have a, a nice proper poured glass of absinthe. So, do you recommend going and giving that a visit? Anyway, uh, I'm going to say that's it for today's episode. I do hope you enjoyed our little delve into some of the thousands and thousands of weird stories that exist within London. Um, these were some of the more famous ones and I'm probably sure you've heard most of them before but in later episodes I'll delve into others I'll do some tube stories I'll do some London ghost stories I'll look at Spring Hill Jack and Anne Boleyn and all that kind of crap later Um, next episode though I am going to be leaving the British Isles done a few episodes around here recently I'm going to leave Europe completely and I'm going to go back to uh, yeah yeah, you probably guessed it by now. I'm going to go back to Japan. And I'll be looking at uh, some creatures that have almost changeling-like ideas behind them. So that should be an interesting little little story. Little story, little delve into some folklore there. So please do, obviously, like and subscribe to the the podcast. Uh, Follow me on Apple and Spotify and things like that. Rate and leave comments and all that kind of crap. All around, uh, share it all around the social medias and all that kind of stuff because I'm not very good at doing that. You can also go like and and subscribe to my YouTube channel and follow me on uh, Twitch where I'll do some more gamey stuff. Uh, On those socials that I mentioned that I'm not very good at doing, I am on Twitter at thedrunkenstore1 because... Screw character counts. I'm on Facebook as The Drunken Storyteller. You can email me at thedrunkenstorytelleruk at gmail.com and where you can send me suggestions on topics and stories and things to cover in future episodes. I've already mentioned it once before. I am running the London Marathon and I'm running it for a charity called No Man Is An Island who are all about HPV awareness and a subsidiary of the Anal and HPV Cancer Foundation. Uh, I need to raise a lot of money. Please help me out. You can also go check me over on another podcast called Darker Days Radio, where we talk about horror-themed RPGs and things like that. So cool. Well, the drink has run dry. Um, It actually has this time, um, at least for the recording aspect of this. Uh, I am going to sign off and uh, drink some more and edit this. So enjoy the random drunk editing that I'm going to do. All that is left for me to say is thank you and goodbye, my friends.